Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Markets Call. It is Tuesday, the 18th of April, April, around about 9.30 a.m. Eastern. We have got a cracking show for you today and a special guest, Tanya Reif, the CIO and founder of Sender Digital Assets. We will get to a great conversation with her in a second. And in addition to that, we also have the usual teams. We've got Josh and Greg on this Coinbase Execution Services team, and we've got David, our head of institutional research. So moving to our agenda, we'll start with a market update with Josh. We're then going to have a conversation around macro research uh, with Tanya and her views on the market, what she's looking out for, and uh, some of her uh, thoughts around the, the Chappelle upgrade. And we're then going to run through some trade flows um, and just talk through what's been happening post Chappella and, and also where we can be uh, looking for potential changes in the market going forwards. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, please uh, feel free to scan the QR code and you'll get all of David's fantastic research and other reports from the Coinbase team. Without further ado, you know the drill. Let's get right into it. Josh, what has been happening in the market this week? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, good morning and uh, happy tax filing deadline day to those listeners who are based in the U.S. Uh, kicking it off here with the markets update for the week. Uh, the last few trading sessions have been all about Chappella and Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum last at 21.12 has traded approximately up 10% in the last seven days and up 9% in the last four days following the upgrade. Uh, ETH has notably outperformed BTC in the last week on the back of unstaking outflows seemingly being less than what the market had previously anticipated. Um, to provide some numbers here, prior to Chappella, approximately 18.16 million ETH was staked. And following Chappella, this number fell to a low of about 17.63 million as of early morning yesterday. Um, but staking looks to be on the rebound, now moving net higher very slightly. Um, additionally, with an approximately, call it, you know, 46%, to I think it's 54% split between staked ETH holders in profit versus out of profit, um, there just doesn't seem to be a clear imp imp impetus rather, uh, to sell ETH here for tax or profit-taking reasons. Um, so with an average staked price, though, of $2,130, um, watching for price action above this level will be worth paying attention to. Uh, it seems notable, too, as well, that BTC correlation with ETH has fallen to 67% in the last month, uh, which could signal the market's willingness to accept the different use cases and drivers for price action between the two assets moving forward. Um, really quick from a positioning perspective, ETH options look to also support a bullish narrative uh, with dealers looking like they're short 2100 and 2200 strike levels in size towards month end. So we could see a squeeze higher if ETH retraces those levels um, eventually as forcing as dealers are forced to cover at those levels. Um, just a quick comment on BTC before we move on. Um, as bank deposits show signs of improvement uh, with U.S. commercial bank deposits um, showing a slight increase for the week ended April 5th. Further increases in deposits could result in a sell-off in BTC as this potential event could correlate positively with um, just an overall sense of calm with respect to banking fears. Um, with rate hikes upcoming, if inflation can be curbed and the dollar can rally, um, you know, BTC, we could see the likes of BTC being impacted here as it becomes a little bit more cost prohibitive to new international crypto entrants. Um, elsewhere in crypto, FTT token lifted as much as 104% on April 12th. Uh, to a high of $2.64 and has since come lower uh, on the back of news that FTX has recovered $7.3 billion of customer funds um, and that the exchange could even be restarted as soon as next year. Um, late last year, the company, if you'll recall, had collected only $3 billion of assets and with recovery more than doubling, 
Um, an increase in crypto asset pricing, as we're seeing recently in the market, could ultimately help boost the total amount recovered from the receivership. Um, AI and big data tokens, including Render, have traded strongly the last seven days on the back of positive crypto Twitter expectations um, that it could eventually support large language models like ChatGBT someday. Um, lastly, Uniswap traded higher last week after announcing its release of the Uniswap mobile wallet, uh, which will support mobile trading. Uh, the wallet will also allow users the ability to purchase crypto with debit cards at just a 2.55% fee um, for fiat on-ramps via MoonPay. Um, a busy week awaits us from a regulatory front as Gary Gensler is set to speak in front of the House Committee today. Uh, Bittrex's lawsuit became public yesterday and stablecoin slash CBDC legislation also remains in focus, uh, which it sounds like algo stablecoins, you know, the, the stuff that we know, such as algo stablecoins would be unlawful to um, originate or create for two years. Uh, there's also a bit about qualified payment stablecoin issuers, uh, which boils down to banks, ultimately depository institutions and non-bank institutions. Uh, but given the recent regulatory crypto um, crackdown for crypto affiliated banks, this seems unclear if it's possible. And lastly, CBDCs are back in focus with the Fed calling on controlled, uh, a controlled USD CBC, CBDC study to be released within one year. Um, on the back of all this, I'm sure there will be another headline rich week. And with that, back to you, Ben. Oh, thanks, Josh. I, I love the, uh, the the introduction and the congratulation for all those that made it through US tax season. Uh, I feel like that's very fair. Having done that for a few years now, it's never, ever a fun time. Um, we'd love to go back to Chappelle here and also just bring in Tanya, Greg uh, and David as well. Um, Tanya, before we get into Chappelle, I just want to introduce you and thank you for joining. Um, so as I mentioned before, Tanya is the CIO and founder of Standard Digital Assets, um, has a fascinating background, grew up in Venezuela, did a PhD in economics at Columbia, was an economist at the IMF, four years at Soros, time at Cisco and Alphadime, uh, and is now running her own digital assets fund. Um, so before we get into Chappelle, uh, Tanya, like, what got you into crypto? What was the, the, the thing that attracted you to the space? Well, thanks for having me here. I'm uh, honored to be your, uh, your first special guest in the show. I um, hope to be here many more times. Um, so yeah, I think uh, uh, my background in Venezuela uh, really is key for my interest in crypto. Uh, I literally lived through many currency crises. Uh, the country imploded both uh, in economic terms and socially. Uh, we really had many episodes of currency debasements, banking crises, um, inf high inflation, uh, growth meltdowns. And over time, that really motivated me to study economics and to do a PhD in international economics and in particular in currency crisis at Columbia University here in New York. And that's how I got uh, my, first, uh, my first taste of all these um, uh, topic that eventually led to what uh, is crypto today and how crypto is disrupting um, the international monetary system. Uh, when I finished my PhD, I went to work at the International Monetary Fund, uh, really looking at balance of payments crisis and uh, looking at how countries struggled with keeping that stability. And after that, moved to Citigroup and then spent the last 13 years, as you mentioned, in various uh, macro hedge funds, really trading effects and rates. By the time Bitcoin came to the picture, it was already naturally interesting to me, given my background. Um, but I think it was um, courageous to get involved in it early on. Congratulations to those that did. It took me a while to understand the technology and to feel that the space was mature enough for me to get into, uh, uh, into the space professionally. After Really after the big liquidity injection 
um, after the 2020 pandemic, um, I really felt that it was going to be an enormous tailwind for the space and that I couldn't wait any longer to get involved. And, and that's when in 2021, I jumped ship and, uh, and now I'm running my uh, crypto fund. Amazing. I, I love that. Well, I think um, the events of the last sort of three, six, 12 months with uh, with bank failures, with stablecoin failures, uh, it feels like you're in a, your expertise uh, definitely high in demand, I think, uh, in, the, in the space right now. Um, so we'd love to we'd love to kind of uh, focus a little bit more on uh, Chappella. Um, David, maybe if I can hand this to you a little bit, like what have we been seeing um, post the, the upgrade and, and what should we be looking out for? Yeah, I think Josh kind of alluded to it that uh, we've been seeing actually a fair number of deposits actually offsetting some of the withdrawals in the system. And of course, you know, they're both partial withdrawals to full withdrawals. So, you know, it's kind of good to keep in mind that, uh, you know, the partial withdrawals are where I believe like most of the potential selling pressure actually comes from. Well, what we've seen is actually the withdrawal process, the withdrawal queue itself has actually been fairly lumpy. I mean, I would have initially expected a lot more, um, you know, steady kind of outflows coming out of this. But in fact, uh, probably it's been affected by several things. Number one, I think chief of all is that uh, the actual withdrawal credentials themselves actually were only set. A lot of them were set after the upgrade went live. So before the upgrade, we had around 45% of addresses actually uh, was set to the proper 0x01 kind of withdrawal prefix. But after uh, that jumped pretty quickly up to 56% because the first block processed a lot of backlogged uh, address changes. And then now we're currently around 84%. But as a result, I think that we saw a lot of withdrawals get processed kind of early. Um, and then we kind of saw an additional wave hit very recently. So now we have kind of started seeing, uh, you know, withdrawals actually surpassing deposits, but still uh, the price action itself doesn't reflect that there's a lot of this kind of coming to the market. It doesn't seem that outside of some of the forced uh, withdrawal pressures on the full withdrawal side, for example, from Kraken or Celsius, that there's been significant additional kind of moves from people to kind of get out of here. Thanks, David. Natalia, we'd love to, to bring you in here. So, the, the upgrade went well, um, ETH trading super well, up 11% versus BTC over the last week or so. Like, how, how are you looking at the market now? Yeah, so uh, let me take it a step back. Um, I think that it is useful to think of the big picture here. And what we had, I believe, is a quite positive backdrop for digital assets in the last few months. Um, even though uh, for some people this rally took them by surprise, I think there were a few points to keep in mind, in my view, why this happened. Um, the first and foremost is to follow financial sector liquidity. And that's different than following monetary aggregates like M2. Um, this is things like base money, um, liquidity injections from central banks around the world, um, like in the case of the US, the withdrawals from the uh, Treasury General account, the reverse repo market, etc. When you put all these together, ever since October, November of last year, we've seen a substantial pickup in global market liquidity, in global financial sector liquidity. And that has been a really, really uh, important uh, tailwind for uh, the digital asset class. On top of that, you had very bearish positioning by, you know, to the start of a year coming out of FTX. And then we had a combination on the macro side where we had growth 
that was still strong. It's moderating. You have seen some weaknesses in some survey indicators. Um, we have seen, we're beginning to see uh, retail sales coming off. But overall, the rhetoric of uh, narrative of a hard landing is really, you know, hasn't been there in the last couple of months. Um, and we've had better inflation, a better inflation picture. We've had disinflation. Yes, we have sticky core. Yes, we have uh, uh, concerns uh, on, uh, on shelter and so on. Um, but at the end of the day, we have seen this inflation um, coming through. So we have had a very positive scenario altogether, relatively steady growth, some disinflation and really positive liquidity picture. That combination has been positive for the asset class. However, it was really only Bitcoin that was able to capitalize on that. Um, well, the whole asset class really did rally, but really Bitcoin massively outperformed. And to me, the reason was that Ethereum was held back, you know, holding its breath, waiting until Chappella <laughs> to come through to make sure that it all went well, that the withdrawal queue was not uh, coming in with big surprises. And the altcoins were waiting for Ethereum, if you will, to give them permission to actually go ahead and rally with it. Um, so now that Chappella is out of the way, now you can see Ethereum actually, the, the, the lack of positioning in Ethereum and the relief that this thing went through, that there was no big technology uh, headwinds, that you know, we didn't have you know, huge uh, uh, demand for, for withdrawals beyond what was expected. Um, now that positioning can get corrected and Ethereum can um, regain some of the ground. However, what is true for Ethereum, and I think it's also true for the altcoins here, is that the reason we're not seeing a more aggressive rally is that we still have regulatory uncertainty. So Ethereum lies in between Bitcoin and the altcoins. Bitcoin, we have you know, heard regulators say that they believe is a commodity. Ethereum, we have discerning views between the CFTC and the SEC. One is claiming it's a commodity, one is claiming it's a security. So at least there's some uncertainty. We don't, we don't know there. Um, but, you know, we, uh, we have at least uh, some hope that uh, it won't be declared a security. But with all of the other altcoins, that uncertainty is much bigger and therefore it's much more of a headwind. So even though after Chappella, we have seen obviously Ethereum outperform and the altcoins trying to follow Q and doing better than they've done in the last few weeks, um, they are still facing these uh, regulatory uncertainty headwinds. And until we have a more clear picture, um, what I believe is going to happen is we're going to see idiosyncratic rallies in those that have news, say Avalanche with the uh, uh, subnet Evergreen, uh, subnets that they just announced a couple of days ago, things like that will you, you can get um, <clears throat> idiosyncratic tactical moves in some of these. But as an asset class, I think the regulatory headwinds need to be cleared up before we can really have a decisive move uh, upward. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. And I agree. I think the, uh, you know, the risk of the regulatory concerns definitely are putting more pressure on the altcoins compared to, say, Bitcoin. But, you know, I, I want to take the opportunity of having someone else here to talk about macro because, you know, you've been looking at this for a really long time. And I'm kind of curious what you think about the fact that you don't see a lot of recessionary pressures kind of being priced in any kind of assets these days, not in equities, not, not anywhere. 
Um, and then you have, you know, like the, one of the Fed board members, like Waller, actually coming in with some pretty hawkish rhetoric last week. I mean, like, what do you think about all this? Like, how, how do you kind of position it at the moment? Because it seems like we're, we're pricing on a fairly kind of optimistic uh, macro outlook, no? Well, I, I think that there are several things affecting both digital assets and the equity markets. And the most important factor here is uh, liquidity flows. And as I said, financial sector liquidity has been you know, really, really uh, uh, very favorable. Um, we've had an enormous drawdown in the TGA over the last couple of months. Um, we also had, of course, after the banking crisis, some liquidity injection by uh, the regulators. Um, so all this is really supporting equity prices, gold, and of course, Bitcoin and the rest of the digital asset class. So in part, that's what we are seeing reflected in asset prices. The bottom market is a little more concerned about growth. Um, but to be fair, in the data, even though we have seen the data come off, we haven't seen, you know, the labor market is still very tight. Um, and I think that um, some of the uh, surveys have been coming off, but they are not yet uh, falling off a cliff. My view is I do think we're going to see a bigger deceleration in the coming months. Um, I do think equity prices uh, eventually will react to that, um, but it's going to depend on how um, aggressive, uh, how how soon we get it, um, and uh, um, and how the uh, central bank and the regulators react to it. Uh, it's uh, the timing of these things is very important, and the liquidity flows are key in trading these markets um, to the extent that we have early and strong support from central banks um, in not only, I'm not talking about interest rates, I'm talking about liquidity. So to the extent that we have liquidity support, um, this actually could support digital assets even more than equity prices. I think at the end, equity is, going, is, is more dependent on earnings growth and earnings growth, of course, depends on GDP growth. Uh, that's not true. For certainly for Bitcoin and you know not even that true for many of the other uh, digital assets. So to the extent that the slowdown in growth is met with liquidity support, uh, we could see digital assets have perhaps a choppy year, but still a very good year. Yeah, that kind of brings me to that the second question actually because. You know, and I agree with you, liquidity is one of the biggest factors, but, you know, we're winding the TGA balance down pretty rapidly, like by early June, that should pretty much be depleted. And we're going to hit the real debt ceiling crisis, which, you know, I personally think could, you know, start leading into yeah. a more kind of volatile period and uh, the Q2. But, you know, you kind of alluded to this. I mean, if we're seeing that, you know, uh, growth impacts equity prices, for example, like, do you think that, you know, crypto, like, you can you know choose to answer that however you want bitcoin eth or, or altcoins but like do you think that crypto wouldn't necessarily follow those footsteps they would perform uh differently like it's it's completely separate asset class i mean, i don't think it's completely separate but i do think you know certainly bitcoin is much more separate than the rest of uh, of the of the crypto asset class i think we've seen some of that this year uh to some extent um bitcoin is going to perform more correlated to gold. It's what we see, look at as digital gold. And the uh, correlation to gold has increased and the correlation to stocks has decreased. I believe that probably Ethereum, some of the other smart contracts, some of the other coins um, are likely to correlate more with 
um, equity prices than Bitcoin is. I think Bitcoin over time is going to correlate more with gold. Now, of course, because it's very underowned right now, it's still a risk on risk off assets. But that um, uh, decoupling is going to, I think, slowly happen over time. And we could see this year some of that play out. Now, you brought up a very important point, which is the other important risk, which is the debt ceiling, um, is ambiguous for crypto. Of course, in the near term, if we really are concerned of a debt default, it's you know negative risk everywhere, and there's no question about that. But the question is, once the debt ceiling is raised um, and the government builds back the TGA, then we're actually going to have potentially liquidity withdrawal from the system. And if that happens, then all of these asset classes, including Bitcoin, are likely to uh, go down in price. Um, now, of course, um, there are other ways that they can inject liquidity and they could also uh, uh, cut rates if you know if we are at that period in the cycle where we do see a significant slowdown and there is lower inflation and for other reasons it justifies it. But it's certainly, uh, I think, the debt ceiling issue and what the TGA does around it um, could, you know, could deliver a very choppy summer. Interesting. So, so it feels like it's kind of mainly going to be driven by by macro. Now we're past some of the idiosyncratic news in, in Chappella and, and with some other tokens as well. I guess like with that in mind, what are some of the, the data points or, or news that you're kind of looking out for? Obviously, the debt ceiling is a little bit way off, but like in between there, what are some of the things that we should be keeping an eye on? I think the most important uh, item to look at is uh, service sector inflation. Um, and um, I mean, we have seen some deceleration, but certainly it's been sticky. Um, and that's what the Fed is looking for. We need to see, of course, uh, improvements in the overall inflation picture. Um, but I think the labor market has been very tight. Uh, we are looking for labor market to give in and we expect the service sector inflation to follow through. Now, there is a particular reason why I believe that the data suggests that in this particular cycle, the labor market is tighter than normal. And that's because the construction sector had experienced a lot of lags during the pandemic um, because of the supply chain issues, the housing starts were delayed, et cetera, et cetera. And the construction sector is quite a very important sector for the marginal changes in the labor market. So to the extent that the pandemic had delayed the cycle, we may just see what we normally see at this stage in the cycles in the labor market delayed for some six months. So I'm really watching very closely the construction sector um, and the labor market and service sector inflation to see if those ease. And then, you know, obviously uh, that will open the space for the Fed to be less hawkish and uh, for us to uh, expect lower inflation and really have a more um, firm view of what would happen with rates towards the end of the year. Interesting. And, and just in your kind of your, your opening um, comments, you mentioned that, I guess, DeFi and, and altcoins, everything kind of beyond ETH is, is slightly challenging for you to look at right now from a regulatory perspective. Let's let's just say like in, in 18 to 24 months, we, we have a bit more clarity there. And there's certainly various things happening that is, is hopefully going to drive some of that clarity, maybe good, maybe bad. But I, I guess looking at maybe the positive one, let's say we do get some regulatory clarity there. Like, how interesting is are the altcoins suddenly? Like, what is the kind of potential upside in that kind of sector if we then do see some some clarity? I I, I do believe 
I'm very bullish in the long run, 18 months down the line, especially with Bitcoin having next year. Um, if we have regulatory clarity, I think it's going to be very bullish for the sector. I think the opportunities are uh, fantastic. The uh, technology is uh, evolving at a super rapid space. Um, I think uh, uh, once the uh, uh, pandemic-related uncertainties out of the way, the regulatory uncertainties out of the way. Um, I think we are we are in for a, for a really uh, a bullish period. Um, probably in 2024 is going to be a, a you know a very good year for crypto. I think uh, a lot of these uh, headwinds that we've seen in 2022 around FTX and Terra Luna and uh, all the bankruptcies um, have really dampened the risk appetite in the sector. Um, I think that the rhetoric of crypto is bad and it's going to be shut down is very prevalent among the public that uh, has had a hard time understanding what happened. But as we have better regulation, hopefully more constructive regulation, better understanding that what we saw in 2022 was really the result of poor risk management and outright fraud and not anything that affected the underlying crypto technology, which has been thriving underneath. Um, once that is understood, uh, once people see the potential for the crypto space, um, I think the uh, upside is, is really very big. So I think in the long run, we are likely to have a choppy year this year, but I think uh, uh, in the long run, I'm, I'm very bullish. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's all about zooming out and, and industries aren't built overnight. They take time and it's not a straight line up and to the right. There's always going to be some volatility along, along that journey. So I entirely agree. But before we go into flows, I just have one, one question. And I kind of asked this as, as someone's been in crypto a little while. Um, you, you've come to the, state, the space from some fantastic firms in traditional finance. As you kind of reflect on your like first three, four, five, six years in crypto um, and kind of how the space has matured, I guess, what are some of the things that you, you wish the industry did better? Like, is it, should we be self-regulating more? Should we, like, what are some of the things that I think is going to help, or you think we're going to help this industry grow more sustainably versus the, the kind of the, the boom and the bust, I guess, that we have had to some extent in the past? Oh, yes, you know, certainly that's, you know, thanks for asking that question. Um, yes, I think what we've seen in the crypto sector is a lot of people that are very tech savvy, um, uh, build really amazing products um, and really take the macro picture and the risk management uh, picture, really shove it to the side. And uh, we have seen what we saw in 2022 was a depiction of that. We have, we have seen um, the Terra Luna episode, for example, was very akin to an emerging market currency peg that just blew up. Uh, because they didn't have a sustainable revenue stream or sufficient reserves to back it up. Uh, but the attractive uh, the, the attractiveness of the high interest yields that the anchor protocol was you know, giving you 20% with no volatility risk and everybody was coming into the space uh, thinking, well, this is, you know, this is fantastic and overlooking the real risk that was underlying uh, the, uh, uh, the protocol was, was really problematic. On top of that, uh, the really huge amount of leverage that piled into that um, and that piled into the sector in general, thinking that, uh, you know, everything's going to, you know, be rosy forever and not planning for a potential deleveraging or a potential a risk scenario where, you know, they would have to uh, uh, change course uh, was, was really, really uh, detrimental and disheartening in the space. Um, clearly, obviously, 
fraud in FTX is something that nobody likes anywhere. But I think beyond FTX, what we saw in a lot of the other, you know, Celsius and Genesis, the uh, DCG Genesis uh, uh, betting, you know, lever on on the uh, on the premium, um, what we saw with uh, uh, funds offering um, high uh, interest rates from the uh, Terra Luna system uh, without thinking of the risks. I think that. Uh, the sector should have learned the lesson that risk management is super important. Um, we need to think about the risks of things unraveling, the risks of a downturn, the risk of hacks, the risks that things do not go our way. And then what are your cushions? How are you protecting from these risks? And I think the, uh, uh, the, the ecosystem has done a poor job at that. We saw that in 2022, and I hope that in 2023 and onwards, we are more aware of the risks of leveraging and, you know, the risk of uh, poor risk management and the risk of poor vetting these different uh, tokens and protocols that come to surface. We need to be do a better job at looking at these carefully, making sure we evaluate the centralization risks, we evaluate the tokenomics, we evaluate the protocol risk, and we prepare accordingly. Because um, even though the space offers a lot of opportunity and a lot of very exciting financial inclusion and disruption and all these fantastic things that we are all in here for, um, if we don't do this properly and we take really uh, irresponsible risk, we're going to find ourselves in, you know, a big uh, episode like 2022, a big implosion episode again. You know, chances are human beings, we do that, you know, routinely, you know, we, we bubble up these things and then we blow up. But to the extent that there are adults in the room that can uh, auto-regulate and can sign, uh, you know, warning signs and, uh, and, 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 try to uh, minimize this risk, I think, uh, I think would be very important for the sector to grow. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. It was, uh, it was great kind of hearing some of those uh, perspectives. Uh, and, and I agree. I, I do certainly hope we've matured a little bit in the space uh, and certainly learned and reflected a little bit from kind of a tough year. Um, I know you, you spent your career looking for risks um, in, in currencies and I guess some of the properties in the space are somewhat similar to, to that. So I'm sure we'll have you back to talk through some of those. And thank you once again for being our first guest. That was fantastic. <laughs> thank you. So Greg, moving on to flows, and maybe let's start with um, with with ETH flows as well um, from a kind of a staking perspective, and then maybe run onto the exchange from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we do, I have to say it's, it's great having Tanya on. Uh, I just learned so much. So uh, she's going to be a, a tough act to follow, and uh, hopefully we can have her back soon. Um, but yeah, back to ETH. Um, it's kind of been front and center, uh, you know, this past week. Uh, and one thing that that we're watching very closely are obviously uh, net ETH withdrawals. Um, and as was mentioned previously, you know, the market really went into this very cautiously positioned. Um, the fear was that, you know, we're going to see massive un, uh, amounts of ETH unstaked and that would then hit the market. Um, and we did see quite a bit of uh, unstaking, but we actually also saw quite a bit of, of that ETH get restaked. And one of the, the positive trends we're seeing here is the staking ratio for ETH is now actually starting to pick up and uh, deposits are out, outpacing withdrawals. Um, so if we see this continue, I would expect um, to see you know, the ETH price continue to grind higher uh, for two reasons. One, 
you know, obviously that selling supply uh, won't be pressuring the market. And also it'll just give people a, a lot of confidence um, that, you know, they're not getting in front of uh, some, you know, large seller. Flows that we've seen on the desk, uh, you know, ETH is, you know, pretty strong net to buy. Uh, folks are being relatively passive uh, in their execution, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're, we're much better to buy there. Uh, BTC um, is a little more balanced. We have, uh, you know, we're actually seeing some net sellers there. And I think the issue is, you know, it's just, again, it's come so far so fast. We got through 30,000 and it kind of just hit a wall. Um, so folks are, are looking to allocate, um, you know, out of BTC into ETH and, and maybe even into some of the altcoins, though I'll talk about flows, um, you know, that we've seen there in a moment. Uh, but just sticking with ETH on the um, on the option front, there was also a, a few interesting things going on last week. We saw a lot of bullish structures go through to start the week. Um, for instance, 6,500 April 2,200 strike calls were bought. Um, the May 2,400 2,700 call spread was also bought in in very large size. Uh, now towards the back half of the week, we did see some call selling. Uh, in the 2000 to uh, 2200 range. But even so, as Josh mentioned earlier, uh, it looks like dealers are still short um, in that range. Uh, so any sustained move up, especially around the end of um, next week, April 28th, uh, we could see, you know, ETH uh, grind higher as dealers buy back that Delta. Now, in the altcoin space, there's... You know, it's great to hear Tanya say there's, you know, amazing opportunities there. Um, for sure, we've heard a similar uh, note that really what's keeping people on the sidelines is, is the regulatory overhang. Um, we are still seeing a lot of your, you know, larger altcoins uh, net for sale. So, you know, your Solana, Matix of the world. Um, really, folks are are a little nervous about, you know, putting large positions on there. Now, whether that's because uh, they think some regulatory action could, could come soon or they're possibly using that as a source of funds into ETH, which may have, uh, you know, more attractive near-term upside, hard to tell. But either way, um, we're not seeing a lot of buy interest um, there. And then, you know, overall, volumes have been pretty healthy. We have, uh, you know, come down a bit from our, uh, you know, the levels we saw sort of in Q1. Uh, obviously, we had, you know, big volume in, in January and then again in March. Um, we are a little lower there, but still very healthy. Um, you know, hearing a lot of uh, engagement from, you know, a number of different types of accounts, folks that, you know, were involved in the space kind of early 2021, uh, you know, coming back in, reactivating, asking questions. Um, you know, wanting to know sort of where the opportunity lies. Uh, so I think as we go into um, the second quarter here, you know, we obviously we have a, a few things on the horizon uh, for, on both the macro front and the regulatory front. Um, but there does seem to be, uh, you know, a renewed optimism in the space. And, um, you know, it's great to hear, uh, you know, from folks like Tanya that, you know, there is still considerable upside left. So, um yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what this week holds and um, and beyond. Great. Thank
Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, as always, a, a ton going on and great to hear those insights from you. Um, so that's a wrap for this week. Um, a special thanks for, to Tanya for joining. That was that was awesome. And then a big thanks to Josh, David and Greg, as usual. Um, as Josh mentioned at the top of the show, um, the SEC chair is testifying in front of the House Oversight uh, Committee today. So do check that out. Um, and otherwise, thank you so much for joining and have a good week. Take care. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.